Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. When I put together the schedule for this sermon series, I don't know what I was thinking when I gave myself the topic of suffering and why my prayers aren't being answered. If I thought about it at all, if I was sensible, I would have handed this one off to Hannah Heather, who's a much sharper theologian than I am. And it would be impossible today to give proper time and attention to unpack a robust theological response to the problem of suffering and unanswered prayer. So I encourage you, if you've not yet gotten Pete's latest copy, the latest edition of God on Mute, please get it. Go on the deep dive. Between that and the prayer course part two that your collectives are doing and the daily devotionals on the Lectio 365 app, we are being offered a rich, nourishing feast over the Lenten series. It's a bring and share feast though, so here's the little bit that I'm going to bring to the table today. If you were going to go to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, you would introduce yourself and saying, Hi, I'm an alcoholic. And then at the beginning of your story, you would do something they call qualifying. You would talk about how you are uniquely qualified to share about alcoholism. So here I am. Hi, I'm Jill, and I've had a lifetime of unanswered prayer. Ironic, eh? For somebody who cultivates prayer for this congregation, I've had a lifetime of unanswered prayer. And here's how I qualify to speak about suffering, disappointment, and unanswered prayer. I married quite young at age 21, and then subsequently endured a horrific 18 months of domestic violence emotional abuse, sexual, physical abuse, trauma. I was pretty sure while I was in the midst of it, I knew how it was going to end. My now ex-husband, I was positive, was going to kill himself and take me along with him. In the midst of that, I got unexpectedly pregnant. And actually, after having been killed captive in my home, I made my final escape with my three-week-old baby strapped to my chest carrying only a couple of bags. I will spare you all of the gory details, but after it was all said and done, the best way that I could describe myself was I was the World Trade Center the day after 9-11. My life had been raised to the ground and I stood in the rubble, utterly devastated and traumatized. I remarried happily when Hannah was five, and my current husband, Kirk, unhappily, suffers from chronic and complex health conditions that profoundly affect him. We have prayed for healing thousands of times, but we've not yet seen the breakthrough. And to top it all off, I myself have had a lifetime of 40 year struggle with an eating disorder. I have been through every imaginable therapy, inner healing and deliverance, and still it's an ongoing 
battle. One in which COVID has stirred up and it's become more fierce of late. It's the thorn in my flesh that I carry daily, begging God to take it away, and thus far receiving only the response that somehow His grace is sufficient for me, and that His power is made perfect in my weakness. I think if I were to look up in heaven, I would have a massive bowl in heaven full of my prayers with my name on it, all the unanswered prayers. I'm no stranger to suffering. My family's no stranger to suffering. And neither is yours. So the teaching today, I'm not bringing blithely or lightly. This is not theory for me. It's not some intellectual asset to some religious dogma. It's not something that I've read in a book or thought might uplift, uplift or encourage you today. These are things that I have wrestled through in the mud and the blood of the front lines of the battlefield of my life. And I hate that I have to give this talk on camera, that I can't actually be in a room with you looking over your faces into your eyes as I speak and communicate the love that I have for you. Because I know many of your stories we have labored together in prayer. And I hold your unanswered prayers in my heart. We are no strangers to suffering. And neither were the followers of Jesus. First Peter 4, verses 12 to 13. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal, says Peter. The early church faced unimaginable hardship. The brutality of first century life on a broken planet Let's think about this for a minute. This was the age before any kind of modern medicine. The age before the Pfizer vaccine. The age even before paracetamol and chloroform or any kind of anesthetic. It was a brutal age on a broken planet. And add to that the persecution from the the Jewish establishment and from Romans persecuting the early church because they wouldn't tell the line and proclaim that Caesar was Lord. And the danger that came with being a bearer of the good news in the first century. Let's just listen to Paul's list in 2 Corinthians 11. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in open sea. I've been constantly on the move, says Paul. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. Jesus is clear about it as well. In this world, you will have trouble. 
He says it in John 16, 33. Jimmy Morrison, not Jesus, <laughs> the lead singer from The Doors says it this way, no one gets out of here alive. John Stott speaks of the problem of suffering in the scriptures. He says this, the problem of suffering is far from being of concern only to philosophers. It impinges upon nearly all of us personally. Few people go through life entirely unscathed. And it needs to be said at once that the Bible supplies no thorough solution to the problem of evil. Its purpose is more practical than philosophical. Consequently, although there are references to sin and suffering on virtually every page, its concern is not to explain their origin, but to help us overcome them. In this world, you will have trouble, says Jesus, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal. Somehow, I don't know, I, I'm still always surprised when suffering comes to me. It, it still catches me off guard. And, and, I, and I think, I wonder if one of the struggles that we have in the Western church, living in the comfort of the first world nation, is that we can get a little bit confused about the gospel, the good news. We maybe mix up the British equivalent of the great American dream. We mix it, we confuse it with the kingdom of God. It could be tempting to believe that I am blessed and God is glorified only when God protects me from all difficulty and hardship, when he makes me comfortable and prosperous, especially if I work hard and apply myself, that God will make me healthy and wealthy and wise. Sometimes, and this is just me, you're probably way more spiritual than I am, but sometimes to my shock and my dismay, I catch myself worshiping at the altar of the cult of comfort, of humanism, of individualistic self-actualization and self Fulfillment, I forget that I've been invited to give my life away. The trouble comes, and I'm surprised at the fiery ordeal. As I was researching this talk, I looked at what the apostles Paul and Peter had to say about suffering. And in several passages, I found this fascinating coupling, suffering and glory. Romans 8, verses 18 to 19. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. And then in Peter, in 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Glory. Peter and Paul are using the Greek word doxa 
in these passages for glory. And it means splendor and brightness, magnificence, excellence, preeminence, preeminence, dignity and grace. It's usually attributed to God. So I wanna just explore just for a couple of minutes these promises of glory in the midst of suffering. Number one, God's glory and goodness. In Exodus 33, verses 18 and 19, Moses says to God, Moses is kind of cheeky, you know, he says to God, now show me your glory. And God said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. Show me your glory, says Moses. He's using the, the Hebrew word kabod. It's the Hebrew equivalent of doxa. But in this passage, it appears that God responds by saying, I will let my goodness, the Hebrew word is tub, which means goodness. <laughs> I will let my goodness pass before you. It seems in this passage that God is making a connection towards his glory and his goodness. And so in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardship, is it possible that God's goodness is passing before us? I don't know about you, but I was so impacted by Lucy's testimony last week. If you didn't get a chance to see it yet, do go and watch it. In the midst of, of unrelenting suffering, isolation, illness, uh, she's got this beautiful story of, of seeing God's goodness pass her by, being loved by the body of Christ. Uh, and even God's tangible presence touching her, her heart and her soul. <laughs> Let's look for signs of God's goodness in the midst of suffering. I think about Psalm 27. The psalmist says, I love this, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Sounds great, right? But when you look at the context of the whole psalm, it's in the midst of he is battered by the wicked. He's surrounded by enemies and foes. He's even been abandoned by his family. And in the midst of that, he says, I remain confident. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. God, would you give us eyes in the midst of suffering and unanswered prayer to see your goodness as it passes before us. So glory number two, the reflected glory, the revealed glory of God in us, in the midst of suffering. I have experienced, I see in the scripture, and I believe to be true that when suffering knocks on the door of our lives, it carries with it an invitation and an opportunity to reflect the glory of God. Because suffering sifts us, it shakes us, suffering tests us. The suffering that we endure matures us. The Bible is clear on this all through the scripture. James 1 verses 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. 
Let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Romans 5 verses 2 to 4, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, character hope. And again, later on in Romans 8, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. When suffering knocks on the door of our lives, it carries an invitation and opportunity to grow in perseverance, character, hope, to become mature and complete, lacking nothing. One of my favorite authors is, is uh, Peter Scazzaro, and he's written a number of books really, really helpful in this whole area, including the book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And here's what he says about suffering and loss. Loss marks the place where self-knowledge and powerful, powerful transformation can happen if we have the courage to fully participate in the process. What does that look like? For me, it looks like asking the questions, God, where, where are you at work in the midst of my suffering? It's plain that the world, the flesh, and the devil are doing their thing. But God, what are you doing in me and through me in this moment? And how can I participate fully in that process? We have uh, somebody who comes to morning prayer. I'm not going to name her, uh, but she's given me permission to tell her story. She's struggling right now. She is battling breast cancer. And uh, she comes to morning prayer. Often she's off screen because she's in bed because she's so unwell. And, and the other day we had an opportunity for people to share stories about how God is helping them to love their neighbor. And she took herself off screen. You could see her just lying in bed unwell. And, and this was her story. She said, you know, I, I, you know that I have breast cancer, but my neighbor also has breast cancer. And I know that God has put me living beside her so that we can be companions on this journey in this season. And she talked about having the opportunity when she was feeling better to, to make meals for her friend and, and to talk to her neighbor over the fence. And, and this day in particular, she said, I'm so excited because I actually summoned up the courage to ask her, do you have a faith that's helping you in the midst of this health crisis? And, and the rest of us in morning prayer, we were just stunned. We were just, you know, we could see she was just telling her story while she was lying in bed, struggling with fighting breast cancer and ministering to the person next to her house who was also struggling. And let me tell you, she was beautiful. The glory of the Lord shone on her face. The glory of the Lord shines through her life. In the midst of suffering, she is going from glory to glory, and Jesus is being revealed in breathtaking ways. There is glory to be revealed in the midst of your suffering. And then finally, the scriptures talk about glory that is yet 
to come. I'm a here and now person. I'm a live in the present moment kind of girl. But I wonder sometimes if we need to think about eternity more, about what is waiting for us on the other side of suffering. Because there will be a day. There will be a day where my daughter and I no longer bear the scars of trauma on our bodies and on our souls. There will be a day when my husband will be free and clear of any affliction or infirmity. There will be a day where the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. There will be a day when the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Death has lost its sting. There will be a day where he will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be a day where there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. There will be a day where there are no more brain tumors, no more anxiety, no more depression or despair, no more domestic violence, no more earthquakes or fires or floods, no more global pandemics, no more rape and pillage and war, no more sexual exploitation of children, no more. There will be a day because he who entered into our suffering, Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, he who defeated hell and death, and he who now sits on a throne at the right hand of God the Father, where he rules over all of history and over all of eternity. He is the one who from that place says, I am making everything new. There is a glory that is to come. The writer of Revelation says, we won't even need the sun anymore because the Lamb himself will be our light glory. So, while we're waiting for that day, what do we do? What do we do? Number one, we watch. We look for signs of God's goodness. I write a gratitude list in my journal every day where, God, where have I noticed your presence? Where is your goodness passed before me over the last 24 hours? Maybe that's something that would be helpful for you. Number two, we war, we pray, we fight. <laughs> for me, this looks like two things. I take it from James 4, verses 6 and 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, because he will flee from you. And so my warfare, my fighting is first of all saying, God, is there any part of me that needs to submit to you? Is there, do I need to give myself to you? Or is there anything I need to repent of or get rid of? You know, the sin that so easily entangles, the, the things that burden me, that hinder. And then having done that, having submitted to God, I then resist the devil <laughs> and I fight in prayer with all of the, the weapons of our warfare that are not carnal. The scripture says they are mighty in God for tearing down of strongholds. So we watch, we war, and finally we hope. And I, I want to actually give you all some homework. Am I allowed to do that? Uh, at the 24-7 conference last October, our very own Hannah Heather gave the most breathtakingly brilliant talk 
on hope and who we are as, as children of hope, as people of abnormal hope in this world. And I strongly encourage every one of you to watch it. We'll get the link out to you all. But we hope, we hope, we watch, we war, and we hope. I'm going back to 1 Peter again. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory, eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Let us pray. God of grace, God of grace, you call us to eternal glory in Christ. In the midst of it, as we're on the way there, God, you, your goodness is passing before us every day in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our sorrows. There are signs of your goodness. And God, I just believe and I, I rejoice in the fact that every time I say yes to you in the midst of suffering, that's yes to my becoming more like Jesus, where I'm going from glory to glory, and I pray for every single person, every single family in our congregation. Lord, help them to watch for your signs of goodness. Help them to war, to say yes to you, no to the enemy, and fight their good fight through prayer. And Lord, we lean our hearts, even in this moment, towards our hope of heaven, knowing that you are now and you will throughout all eternity make everything new in the place of our questions and our suffering and our sorrows and our unanswered prayers and those bowls in heaven that feel full lord we just give ourselves to you again today in jesus name and for the sake of his glory amen